So this week is week three of Advent, the start of the, the third week. So this theme for this that we're doing is love. Last week was peace. Week before that was hope. So the title of this is What is Love? We're going to be in John 15, verses 12 through 19. We're also, if you look at the back of your bulletin, we're also going to be starting at verse, uh, chapter 13, verse 1, because that kind of starts the whole thing. And so love and peace go together like two sides of a coin. And so a lot of time with... If you read chapters 14 and 15, peace and love are interweaved there with the peace, love, and joy, right? So they're all kind of interweaved there. So the, quest, the title is this, is What is Love? And so this is not, and so those of you who know me, we haven't done a whole musical-based uh, sermon for a little while, I guess. So this, this will be it for the, this is one of them. So this is not the 80s pop song that screams, What is Love? Baby, don't hurt me, right? If you if you if you remember that song, this is the this is the funk version, the Tower of Power that that asks, "What is hip?" Right. So that's kind of what is love. So so that song, if you're not familiar with it, um, it starts off with, with talking about somebody who wants to be hip. Of course, this is kind of the '60s and '70s that the song was written originally. So it was there. But so here's the here's the the, the first verse of that song. It says, "But you ain't exactly sure what's hip." So you start to let your hair grow, spend big bucks to copy a wardrobe, but somehow you know there's much more to the trip, right? So there's much more to hip, being hip than clothes, your hair, your, whatever car you have, whatever you're doing or watching. And so there is much more to what is love than a lot of times people think. And so we may get a lot of answers if you ask them this, and a lot of times it's an emotion that differs from liking somebody or if you... If you if you like somebody versus you love them, you know, in a relationship, is it a feeling that we get from our, with our families? We love our families. And a lot of times our feelings are, are, are based on something subjective, right? A lot of times if it's somebody who gives me something and is nice to me, then I can love them. But if not, then it's a little more difficult to love them. And so, so what is love is, is important that we ask this. But we see in the Bible that we're going to look at today that the objective answers about what is love comes from Jesus himself. And so to set this up before we read the verses, the context of this is, this is Jesus' farewell discourse. This is his last speech at the Last Supper before he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, gets arrested, gets tortured, and eventually goes to the cross and dies for our sins. And so this is his, so, so verses, or chapters 13 through all the way to 16 is this big speech or discussion he's giving to the disciples. And so he's setting up their ministry because he is now going, to, he's getting ready to leave this earth, essentially. And so he's going to give his disciples instructions and teachings, and it specifically surrounds what is love and what that looks like here on earth. So let's go ahead and turn. We're going to start with verse John chapter 13. We're going to read verse 1, then we're going to jump down to chapter 15 and verse 12. Because we're reading 13.1 because it kind of sets everything up. So John says, and it should be on the screen. There we go. I'll, 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 and I'll get to 15. I'll read 13, then we'll go to 15. But that's on there. That way you don't worry about it. So John starts off in chapter 13. Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Right? And so that is important for us, that he loves them to the end. So Going to verse 5, chapter 15, verse 12, he says, This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. 
verse 13, 1. No one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he will give you. This is what I commanded you. Love one another. So we're going to also read verses 18 and 19, and I don't have one on the screen. But if the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, if you're not of the world I have, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. So that's kind of comforting, right? The world's going to hate you if you love Jesus. And when we see this, and so if you're looking at your outline, I have that, that love, this is kind of the answer to the question, love is never-ending, love is sacrificial, love is personal, and also love is difficult. Right, so that's what the outline we're going to look at here. So, so the first part is that love is never-ending. And we see that from verse 1 in chapter 13, how John sets everything up. He says, he loved, us, he loved them to the end. And, Jesus, and John tells us that having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the other. So he knows who his people are and he loves them. And so Jesus knew he was going to die. That he, he knew this fact. He, he had been the sac- he is the sacrificial lamb. He was born to die. Right? We celebrate Christmas because the, the God is incarnated into the, onto the earth. But he came here to die for us. And so many of us do not know that. We don't know when we're going to die. We don't know why we're going to die. But Jesus knows all these things. And so this is what he came to do. And he did it willingly. He left heaven, as Hebrew says, came down to do these thing, this thing for us. And so, of course, John has the benefit of hindsight because as Jesus is saying these things at the dinner, they're probably like, well, that's odd to say. That's weird. Why is he telling us this stuff? And they had been with him for three years, so they heard all these things before, back and forth. But you never really know things. that People say things that's going to happen until it actually happens sometimes, right? So John is, of course, writing this after the fact. So he knows, he knows what, so he can fill in the blanks for us. And so God has come for his own people because he loves them. And we see this, this speech about loving and going to the end is because we have the key of the resurrection and the death to fill in that blank for us, to make that connection. Say, oh, that's what he meant by this. That's what he did. And so subsequently, though, God loves his own people. And he had come for them. But subsequently, the world loves their own. And we, as we saw, and we'll get to in the last point of the sermon, but... We see the difference between the two things. God loves his own people and the world loves its own people. But the world is not going to die for you. Jesus did. And so that's the difference. God's love for his people, though, is never-ending. Because God is never-ending. And so John explains in 1 John 4, 8 that God is love. So those two things are synonymous. It's not just a, it's not just a character that is who he is. That's not just what he is, but it's who he is. He is love. And so when we read in the Old Testament, we see the never-failing actions of a loving God. We are his greatest creation. He cared for Adam and Eve, even though they sinned and bro- dis- disobeyed the, the first commandment, the only commandment, don't eat the fruit. God loved Abraham, and he keeps his promise to make Abraham's descendants a great nation. And we see that we are part of that great nation. He lovingly leads his people out of slavery 
into the promised land. In Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7, on Mount Sinai, God passes before Moses and he explains his character. He says, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands. And so that steadfast love, that word, that faithfulness is, is the Hebrew word hesed. We've talked about it kind of off and on all year. But there really isn't a good definition for it, but that's kind of the best way to describe it in, in English, is the steadfast love, that patient, loving kindness. That he's not going to just kick us out because we upset him one day. Now, we're going to get disciplined, we're going to get chastised, obviously, but he's not going to just get rid of us because we're his. And so that's an, it's a vast, that definition of hesed, it's, it's, it's a vast so many ideas we can't really put into words, but it's indescribable, and it's the perfect word to describe a big God. It's indescribable, and that's really what God is. So we try the best we can with our language to explain who God is and what he does. But God is faithful in his love even when his people are not. We saw that in, in the Elijah story. People left, for Baal, left Yahweh for Baal by the thousands and hundreds of droves. They said, all right, he's a better guy. We'll go over here. And God called the people back. <clears throat> God did not leave his people. He set aside 7,000 plus Elijah to keep his promise, to get us to this point that we celebrate Christmas and on and on past that. And so same way, the same way Jesus, the God-man, faithfully came to earth, he steadfastly completed his ministry for his own people. He didn't waver. He, we, we see him, he goes, he knows exactly what's going to happen. And he's giving his farewell speech, knowing full well what's going to happen in the next few hours. He's like, this is what I'm doing. I'm doing it for you guys. And so we should be in all of that. And so starting in chapter 15, verse 9, Jesus explains. He says, go back. As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you, have, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love, right? That's the, some, some of the versions say abide. So if you're remaining, right, if we're having this never-ending connection with God, we're, in, we're, we're staying in this love. And so one commentator says, here are some of the elements of the circle of love are enunciated. They are as follows. The Father loves the Son. The Son obediently loves the Father. The Son loves his followers. And they are to love and obey him. And loving and obeying the Son means being loved by the Father. Being loved by the Son also implies loving one another. So it's sort of like a circle. Like God, Jesus, us, and other people all in this circle. Sort of, if you want to look at the four points of the compass in a way, it's just never-ending, unbroken circle of love. And so that's how it's supposed to work. The circle, the circle should be unbroken from each person, right? God, Jesus, me, in a circle connected. And we have strings going to others. Because we're all, we should all have our own circle of that. And so we're connected by these ropes. And so to bring us into the circle, though, Jesus had to die for our sins because until then we couldn't enter the circle. We couldn't come into the, the holiest of holies in a sense. We had to be let in. And so that way, that was from Jesus' love that he showed because it's sacrificial and he calls us to live the same way. And so if you go to verses 12 and 13 in chapter 15, Jesus sums up this whole thing by starting. He says, this is my command Love one another as I have loved you. 
And so he told them time and time again that he had appointed, he had an appointed mission and, it, and there was a certain time that everything was going to happen and now is the time. He said, look, we are now, we are here at this point of history. It's going to happen. So I'm leaving. So I need to give you the last and big instruction. Love one another as I have loved you. And so how does he love us? How, what does it look like? So he goes to 13. No one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. So he's telling them, I am showing you the greatest amount of love because I have come to pay for your sin. That I have come here to die for you. And so those of us who are in the military, you kind of know that. We kind of know going into certain things like this is a possibility of us getting killed at some point during a war or whatever. All the things you do in the military, you have a higher chance of getting killed than a normal person who works a, different, a regular job. And people do that, and sometimes they hope it never has to happen, obviously. But you always have that in the back of your mind. Right? You always have that, this is a possibility to go off to war. So think about that, though. How many people would you take a bullet for? How many people would you run into a burning building to save or go off to war for? And when we put it in those contexts, when we ask those questions, when we ask ourselves those questions, it becomes a different story. Because that's really what it is. And you spend time in the military... Hey, these are the people I'm here for, right? That's, if you've seen the Band of Brothers, that's kind of what that Band of Brothers is about. It's because they do it for each other. They became brothers throughout all the things they, they, they went through, and they did that. <clears throat> and some people may say, there's nobody on my list that I would take a bullet for. I'm not really sure that I'd be convinced of that. Hopefully you'll just get grazed and I can patch you up. No problem. I will hold your pressure point to stop the bleeding, but I'm not going to take the bullet for you. Right? I'll, prov I'll provide the triage. Or some may say that I don't feel called to do that. And not everyone is called to do this. Not everybody's called to join the military to these things, but, but as a... And we may never have to die for anybody in our lives, but the willingness has to be there for the sacrifices. Right? Because Jesus' death is the one, the only one that has worldwide and eternal implications for everybody. God the Son brings you into the presence of the Father with a sacrifice. So Jesus' words here bring to mind both the unending love for God as, as the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, right? Love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And again, it's repeated again in Mark, that chapter 12. But it also extends to others. Right? This is a combination of the two commandments. It's really what the entire Old Testament law is about. Love God. Love your neighbors. That's the Ten Commandments rolled up. That's the six hundred other the other six hundred laws rolled up into two things: love God, love your neighbor. That's it. People ask you what the Old Testament's about. That's what it's about. That's what the law is about. <clears throat> and so, what is the measuring stick? Though, what does that mean? Love like how? Like 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 or love love? Right? We we kind of do that in our language. Do you like like her? Do you love her, love her, or just kind of love her? You, we, we use that thing, but so, so Jesus' sacrifice, Jesus' sacrificial love, God's sacrificial love for his own people, that is your measuring stick of love. And so while it may seem like the rest of the world's like, of course I'd die for my friend. That's a great idea. That's a good thing. I want to give up my life for somebody else. It's maybe universally accepted behavior that makes sense. You, of course you want to take care of the people around you. But you see, the, 
the true motivation behind the command should be and must be your love of God. Because the first commandment is love God. Love God, then love your neighbor. It's don't love your neighbor, forget about God. It's don't love God, forget about your neighbor. It has to be both. They have to be both be there. And we see that the world is very good about loving your neighbor. We see all the commercials, we're in this together with all the stuff, take care of your people, we give to charities, all these things. Yes, good, but where's the motive? what is the motivation? Is it just because you want to be a good person? Well, the road to hell is paved with good intentions and good, good acts and deeds, but if you don't love God, you're not getting in. And that's just the way it is. It's not my rule. This is not Darren Wilt's rule for getting into heaven. This is God's rule for getting into heaven. You have to do these things. You have to love God and give Him everything to get into heaven. You have to obey Him and live in Him and abide in Him. Because this is not an option. This is an imperative because anything else falls short. And it's important we keep that in mind and explain things why to other people who are maybe non-believers or ask the question like the rich young ruler, I'm a good person. Great. But do you love God? Do you accept Him as your Lord? Do you let Him rule over your life? Well, no, I can't do that. I don't. Well, then no. Then it doesn't matter. Because the world places a value on doing good with no value on God. And so we must, the foundation of your life must be the love of God and He must be the only God in your life. Again, that's why it's the first commandment. That's why it's important. So the question is, how do you love sacrificially? Well, do you give, what do you give up that you want for somebody else? Right, maybe it's an inconvenience for you to do, say, say, pick up a friend to take them somewhere or get somebody lunch. or so, you know, so there's a bunch of different things you can put in wherever you want. But those are the sacrifices we can make. And it's not on the same level as Jesus dying. So I want to make sure we're clear on that. But you can give up pieces of you to make sure somebody else is comfortable and has what they need. And do you complain about when you do it? Oh, I gotta go pick him up again. Uh, oh, he needs a ride all the time. Oh my God! You know, if we do that, then you're not doing it sacrificially because Christ went and He didn't complain. You could easily hear Him walking up the hill, up to Calvary, going, "Oh, these people! Oh my God! I carry this big brand, this big piece of tree up to the cross. Here I am, and you guys don't even care." You could have easily had that conversation in his head, but he probably was saying, I'm doing this so they can have a way into the Father. They can do this. So he wasn't complaining about it. He was not expecting repayment because we can't repay Jesus. We can't repay God with anything other than our life. So it's paying kind for kind in a sense. And it's difficult to love sacrificially because we're dealing with people and that requires us to get close to people. It requires us to know them. To know what they need and want and what would, for lack of a better term, make them happy or fulfill their needs. Right? Love is very personal. And so going to verses 14 and 16, this is a little bit like a graduation ceremony for the apostles. It says, You are my friends if, if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my Father. And so this is kind of like that class ring where you get to move the tassel when you graduate. Say, all right, I'm going from a student to, to the 
uh, colleague, in a sense, of the teachers. I'm no longer in this, this tier, I'm up here. Right? This is seeing what happens, and if we see this, so, so all of a sudden there's, there's status changes. And it becomes a different thing. You're not just a student, you're not a servant, you're not just here to work for me. I'm giving you information. And this doesn't mean just Jesus is going to be your friend just because you do what he says. But he says, I have chosen you and I have appointed you. I have set you apart. So in first century Israel, students followed a rabbi. They said, I want to follow you. I'm going to follow you around and listen to whatever you say and you teach me. But this way, the teacher is picking the students. Jesus picked the students. He chose, he called the twelve to him. He said, I want you guys, for whatever, that, whatever reasoning I have, I'm picking you to do the jobs. Even though he, and right, who else did he, who was in the group of the twelve? Judas. He picked Judas knowing what Judas would do. So he has a plan, he understands the plan, and he's, this is what he's letting everybody in on the final pieces of the plan here. And so this final shift comes from Jesus letting in the, in the apostles in on what he's going on. He lets them know what's going on. So D.A. Carson points out that Jesus' his friends are informed of his thinking, enjoy his confidence, and learn to obey with a sense of privilege and with full understanding of their master's heart. The nation of Israel did not know the full plan of redemption that was unfolding before them in what we call the Old Testament. But here are the twelve men, and many think that they're the representatives of Israel. Right, they get a front row seat of the behind the scenes picture of everything that's going on. So in a sense, Israel is now being let into the, into the mix. They were chosen, and not only that, though, they were appointed or set apart for a purpose so they might bear fruit. So I picked you guys for a reason to do something specific. They are also, they're not just set apart, they're set apart to bring others in. Right? They are there to help teach and make disciples, to multiply and propagate the fruit trees forever. Right? You, if you hear, I don't know, you, I hear every once in a while, I read something that says, you know, the grapes, especially the wine grapes around here, some of them are, are from, you know, hundreds of year olds or the old country vines where they bring them over from Italy. They're three, four hundred years old. That's what we are. We're the, we're the 2,000 year old vines of the church. We should hopefully still be bearing grapes. That you can turn into pleasant grape juice since we're Baptists. Right? <clears throat> and God does the choosing, though, because we would only pick people that we like to bring them into the group. Right? I don't like you. You can't come in. Maybe go find another church. They'll, down the street, they like you better. There's more people like you, right? But God says, no, these are the people here, whatever, in this church, you're here for whatever reason. Even Judas. Judas had a part to play. I'm not saying anybody here's a Judas. Hopefully nobody said that, right? But, but God brings in people that he saves for his purposes. Right? He saves people. He does it. He brings them in. It's because we have a problem with two things, our will and his will, a lot of times they're not compatible. And so, this is why Jesus says, you must abide in me. You have to live there. We have to move our will out of the way and put his will in place. And that's what makes love difficult. And so verses 15, or 17 through 19, so 17 is sort of the wrap-up, 
Right? This command, this is what I command you, love one another. So that's kind of the recap or the re restating of verse 12, but it's also a transition into verse 18, where he says, If the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. But if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. And so this transition goes to how everyone else will act toward a friend of God. If the world hates you, know that they didn't like me before. They didn't like me either. So this is kind of know what you're getting into. Right? Hey, when you come over here to this side, you are going to be disliked. If you were of the world, the world would love you because you don't have, they don't have a problem with you. You do whatever the world says. You're happy. They're happy. Everybody's good. But when you start going, wait a minute, you're doing it wrong, world. We should not just give because we should give, but we should give because we love God. Oh, no, you threw God over. You've got to get out of here. All right, we don't need that G word, that guy, that person, that made up figure, whatever it is, in the mix. Just give gifts because it should make you happy. Give gifts because it makes them happy. Just love people because you just love people. No, I love people because God is here. And so last week in Matthew, we saw Herod killed every male child under two years old. Because he wanted to get rid of the competition. Even though it was God's will for the king to be born and take the throne, Herod said, Nope. It's my will. My way or the highway, this is my throne. I'm not giving it up. So he killed all the children to make sure to try to get rid of this competition. So last week I read something afterwards. I'm reading a book about uh, dragons and serpent imagery in the Bible. And so for Herod, this newborn king was competition. But for the devil or the serpent... Right, we're going to go back to Genesis. The seed of a woman is his doom. Right, Genesis 3. So every baby is his enemy. Every baby is the devil's enemy. So this explains, like, kind of light bulb went off like, oh, that's why abortion is such a big deal. Because the devil wants to get rid of all the competition to, to his throne and his world. And so the devil instructs Herod to kill the newborns and the toddlers. And so that's just kind of from last week a little bit. But we see that that's how the world thinks. As long as you don't bring God into it, we're okay. And even on base, the chaplains, a few years ago, they, they had to stop saying in Jesus' name after they prayed if, they're, if you're a Protestant. And a lot of people had a, had a problem with that. Now you can say, in your name I pray. They got around it a little bit. But because we didn't want to make people uncomfortable, apparently. You know, they're like, oh, so just cut that little part out. Don't bring him into, him into the mix, unless it's an actual church service. Then it's fine, but if you're doing an invocation for something, don't bring Jesus into it. Because the world, it's almost like a, the holy water with a vampire, you know, that we're like, ah! You know, the sun, the, no, I can't take it, ah! Right, and that's totally fine, because that's, what, that's how the demons react to the light. That's how demons react to Jesus. Right, they ask him straight up, don't kill me, don't get rid of me. Send us into the pigs. Just don't kill me. I know who you are. And the world knows who he is, but they don't want to acknowledge it. So likewise, though, every believer is in the army of God. And this is a part of the reason why he is referred to as the Lord of hosts or the Lord of armies in the Old Testament. He's not just here. He didn't set up his garden as a club to come and hang out. He came to do battle. Jesus' death, and that was part of the fight. That was kind of D-Day. 
the invasion of Europe, and then we're waiting for the last piece where we take over Berlin and, and get rid of Hitler. And so he is the king and he is the commander and we are enlisted to fight against the darkness. And so Jesus is warning the disciples that whatever you're going to experience here in a little bit, after I'm gone, it's because, they, because you're representing me. You wear my jersey. You wear my uniform. People see that. People don't like it. And so we must keep our focus on God and that He can help us put everything in perspective. When we focus on God, we know why we're doing what we do. We know why and the reason, the foundation, we're loving others. It's because of God. Because He gave, showed us love first. And we move, then we move from just a moralistic existence of thinking to do good for some reason to living for God and that gives us different motivation. If we learn from Jesus, right, He wasn't... He made everybody kind of irritated when, he, when you see him. He was upsetting everybody because everybody's kind of doing it wrong. Every, the, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the normal people, they all had something that they were doing wrong. They were focusing on the wrong thing. So if we focus on God, we become more in line with God and His will. And so that's what makes love, loving somebody difficult, loving difficult because when we love God, people are going to push back. People push back when you love them for whatever reason. And so sometimes we start to question, is loving God worth it? Is becoming a Christian worth it? I'm a lead, I'm a, maybe I isolate my family, I leave my family because they don't believe. I'm the only one that comes to church, I go to church by myself, whatever it is. Even loving our spouse or our parents or a stranger is, is difficult to do, and so we have to get over that. We have to understand that people are not going to like this idea that we do. And so those four points, right, the, the, the never-ending sacrifice of the person, that's kind of the definition of it. But here, now we're going to get to how we do this. How do we apply this to our life? And how do we continue to try to love people, even when people may not be lovable? Right, so... The first one is, the first part of the application, there should be a slide. There we go. The first one is to be intentional. Right? Jesus says abide in Him. So that means to, to stay with somebody. Right? So, that means, so loving somebody takes effort. Getting to know them, getting to know God, getting to know the person and His will or what they need and what, what makes them tick, takes work. Because when you're trying to get to know God, you have to pray, you have to study, you have to ask things. It just doesn't happen. Now, God will tell you what you need to know, and that's fine, but a lot of times that comes through prayer. You know, like tending the vines to bear fruit, if you ever had a, had a garden or anything, even your yard, you know you've got to go out and pull the weeds, you've got to go do all these things, you've got to trim the right branches, you've got to water everything, you've got to feed it. And that is part of your spiritual formation, that is part of you becoming like Christ. Turning the other cheek, walking the extra mile, that takes effort to stop from being angry, maybe mouthing off, being sarcastic, a sarcastic reply, complaining however you want to look at it. Or when you're working for somebody who drives you insane, right? you have to purposefully think it through. How am I going to respond? Do I just say, because I have that problem. I blurt things out. So sometimes the best thing is just to be quiet. But it's part of being intentional. Because it takes planning to pray to God every day instead of just doing it when you get around to it. Right? Just like anything else. I have to paint our bathroom, so I'm trying to figure out how to plan it. Now, part of my planning is procrastination, but... 
right? But but I have to play it. I have to take off the lights. I have to do this. I have to take off the, shower, the towel racks, whatever else. I have to plan it out before I do it to try to make it as easy as possible. And so loving God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul takes effort. And part of that effort is, is being consistent, which is the second application point. So you need to be consistent. So the definition of abiding is enduring or lasting a long time. And so your love must be long-lasting, just like God's, never-ending. God consistently showed love to His people, even when they were whining in the desert, even when they were having a party with a golden calf, as He left for five minutes. He still loved them. They stayed the course. Jesus stayed the course, even though as in John 1.11 says, He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him. He could have said, You guys hate me, I'm going to go back. Right? I'm turning the car around. I don't care that we didn't go to Disneyland. I'm just leaving. Right? But he did. He said, I have a job to do. We are going to this vacation, and we're going to enjoy ourselves no matter what. Right? He did this. So he came to save these people that were ungrateful and either didn't believe he was the Messiah or thought he was crazy or a liar. He didn't care. He said, I am coming to do a job because the Father told me. And so he was consistent, he was intentional, and should keep us from defaulting to the status quo and becoming complacent. Because we should be watching for the changes, we should be listening to God and adjusting how he is leading and where he's leading us and how he's loving us. It's the same thing with people. We need to be consistent in our love with the people in our families, our lives. Because it's really great to be super, super lovey-dovey one day, and then I hate you the next day. That's not healthy. That's not good. Right? You should be like, I'm straight across the board. I'm pretty even. Yeah, hopefully. <clears throat> now, the problem with that is we are not machines, so it's hard to do the first two things. Right? It's, it's hard sometimes to be intentional all the time. It's hard to be consistent all the time. Right? So we have to be forgiving because we have good days and bad days. And that's the third point is that we, we have to be forgiving. And this goes to ourselves and with others. We need to forgive ourselves when we mess up. We need to forgive others when they mess up. And so the Lord's Prayer says, help us forgive others as you have forgiven us. And so Jesus' greatest gift is forgiveness through God's grace. So that we must offer others grace as well. <clears throat> because we want grace from other people. Right? If we mess up, we hope that somebody forgives us. Like, hey, sorry I didn't paint the bathroom this weekend. Hope you forgive me. <laughs> I have to do it today, part of it anyway. <clears throat> but hope, when we mess up, we have to do those things. We have to hope we go to them and say, I'm sorry. And so we just show grace. And so we also show grace when, they, when somebody does mess up. That affects us somehow, right? And we can't beat ourselves up when we mess up. Like, I, could, you know, I didn't get the bathroom done. Oh my gosh, I don't know what to do. I'm just going to go paint it. But we see these things. We have to love ourselves as we love others. So if yelling at someone else is unacceptable, why would it be okay to yell at yourself? Maybe I'm the only one that's really hard on I'm really hard on myself, so I, this, is, this is partly for me. But I think a lot of people are like the same thing. They make themselves feel really bad and guilty because they didn't do something. And so we have to say, look, I need to forgive myself for not being consistent today. You know, so that means i got to read two extra chapters or whatever it is from the Bible. I have to pray a little extra harder. Maybe you're from for today. But I can forgive myself and I, need, and I need to give you because God forgave you for your transgressions. That is the biggest thing. 
His love saved you from yourself, essentially. He saved you from His wrath. He gave you eternal life if you were one of His own. So Colossians 3.13 says, Paul says, Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And to be consistent in how to be forgiving, Paul gives in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Right? And those are good things to take and say, Okay, I don't have to do everything right all the time because it's impossible for us to do it. And that's why we have Jesus. Because we can't abide in Him all the time. We can't love people all the time. So Jesus says, Here, you're already covered. You're good. I paid for those sins the past, present, and future. Because what his death, everything that we do is in the future. But at a point of our salvation, right, that point of our justification in our life, when we're awake and aware of it, that's where the past sins and then the, present, the, the future sins take place. Because then if you're saved, right, that's the, we're, we're justified, but then the rest of this is all sanctification process until we die and then we're glorified. Right? That's the process of how everything works. So lastly, the last thing we can do is to be bold. Be bold. So loving people is difficult. And it's scary. And if you don't think so, then maybe you're the difficult one to love. I'm just saying. You have to put yourself out there and hope you don't get shot down. Right, so you have to be bold. So more importantly and more difficult is loving God and proclaim, pro, excuse me, proclaiming that love for Him. Because then it's scary, right? The world, leaving the world is very difficult because once you say that I love God, He's my Savior, you have now crossed over. Right? You are leaving the world in a sense. And the world is all we know. You basically have to kind of get on a bus, essentially, to get to heaven in a way. Right? Where, so now I'm going over here. The world is all we know. The world is all we have. Or that's what we are led to believe. If we believe, don't go over there. They're weird. Don't go over there. The Christians are weird. They're, they're weird people. They talk about weird, they have a weird language. They talk about weird things. They drink the blood, eat the bread, eat the body, all these things, right? This was stuff going on in the first century, second century, that the Romans were telling the other people, no, they're cannibals. They do these things. It's weird. Don't do that. Don't go over there. And so the world keeps telling us lies. The lies change a little bit, but it's all the, kind of the same thing. But what we do know is that the world hates God. The world hates God. So when you are going over there, when you're crossing over that bridge, if the world hates God and we love God, then the world will hate us. And we have to be okay with that. Right? We have to be okay with that because God is bigger than the world. Sometimes I think it's, the world wants you to think that it's different. But the, God is bigger than the world. He created the world and He commands the events in the world. He transcended time and space by coming into this world to do battle for us. And Paul says in Romans 8, 31, 32, if God is for us, who can be against us? Right? Because everybody, the whole war on Christmas, things like that, like get rid of it, everything else. I understand happy holidays is important, but at the same time, we have to keep the focus on Christmas for us as Christians. We celebrate Christmas, we celebrate His birth, no matter when He was born, whatever, it's irrelevant. That's the day we picked at some point, so that's the day we celebrate. Because He came as incarnate God, God, the God-man. 
So Paul goes on and says, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? And Paul also says in Ephesians, In Christ we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith to God our Father. Right, so that is why we can be bold in how we love God and how we love others. So, as we know, right, the Tower of Power, the last part of the song says, and, the, and what is hip, says what's hip today may become passe. Right, because the hipness changes whenever it wants to. Bell bottoms were cool back in the 70s. They came back, you know, parachute pants when I was a kid. Not so much nowadays. If you had that on, unless you're going to some kind of 80s dance, they'll pay, they might look at you funny, right? That is, stuff like that is not hip anymore. But the good thing is we see through the actions of Jesus that God's love never becomes passe. It never goes away. It never changes. We should never get tired of the Christmas or Easter stories. Even if it's the same story. We could, I could preach every Christmas the same story and it should be fine for everybody. Because you're going to find something new. It's like watching a movie every, all over and over again. You'll find different details about it. Because God loves His people and wants us to have the same love toward Him and others. And it's His death on the cross that's a once and for all deal. It's endless. His love doesn't go away. And so we have to practice loving both God and people. Like I said before, love is that rope in between our circles that we have, right? It's like a, if, we, if we all have a hula hoop, we're all connected with, with a rope for love for each of us. That God, through Christ, to each of us, we have this love. And so the Father's love sent the Son to earth to pay for our sins. And if we live in that love, then we can show others that love. So the questions are, for the end of, the, end of this, this week, is how will you love God more this week? And how will you love people more this week? Or love others more this week? So as we sing our last few songs, right, think about that. Write it down, whatever you got to do. Because this is how we change. This is how people know we're Christians because we love them and we also love God. So let's uh, go ahead and stand for the last couple songs.